science, especially on the field, has to be fun. And if it stops being fun, then it's not good, I would say. So it's just a matter of trying to make everyone happy. The iSpot is the podcast about polar science and the people. We talked to scientists who went on board Polarstern, the German research icebreaker, for the biggest research expedition in the Arctic. Hello and welcome to the iSpot, the podcast for the Year of Polar Prediction. And the podcast about polar science and the people. My name is Kirstin Werner. And I'm Sara Pascoletto. Hello, everyone. How was your day so far? It was gray and lonely. I'm in the office for the first time in months, but it's nobody around. It feels like a silent hill in the in the building because of course with the I went to Bremerhaven, I live in Bremen, and so normally we commute, but since the corona situation started, then I mean we mostly moved on in home office. So I haven't been around that much. But today I'm here. And uh, yeah, <laughs> somebody say, ah, oh, you know, I feel uh, I miss the contact with colleagues. But yeah, I mean, there is nobody around. So it doesn't really make much of a difference. Yeah, I've been there yesterday, the same more or less. I mean, there are some people, but not not a lot, I have to say. Yeah. This uh, 11th episode, this will be our really our marine episode. And uh, for all of you outside listening to that, for all of you who are crazy about the ocean, this is your episode. Yeah. Because um, today, our guest today, uh, she's a scientist. She's not from the team atmosphere, not from the team ice, but from the team ocean. Yes. It is uh, Zoe Koenig. Hi, Zoe. How are you? Hi. Yes, I'm good. <laughs> it's uh, great to have you here. I, I guess from your home office in uh, Bergen, right? In Norway. Yes, home office also on our side. Even though there's not so many corona, and we hope that maybe in a week or two we'll be able to go back to the office. I see. Okay. okay. All that. I mean, that's exciting. <laughs> We cross fingers <laughs> in time for a Christmas holiday. That's ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. So Zoe is a postdoc in uh, at the university in Bergen in Norway, and at the same time also at the Norwegian Polar Institute in Tromsø. Right, Zoe? Yes, I'm actually moving to Tromsø in January for Ooh. the Norwegian Polar Institute part of my postdoc. Ah, nice. that's a that's a great place. I have to say, I've spent some months in Tromsø, um, not in the winter, but uh, I guess it can be really nice. And um, yeah, Bergen is also a nice place. I know it. It's supposed to rain a lot, but I don't know. I mean, no, it rains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You're nodding. <laughs> I see. <so. laughs> okay, and you came to um, Norway. Uh, As far as I understood, in 2018? Yes, it's been two years. Two years now. And before that, you have worked as a postdoc and a PhD student in France, correct? Yes, I did all my studies in Paris, including my PhD. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I see. And interestingly, you have been involved in your PhD studies already with the NICE project, 
This is a Norwegian project um, that I think uh, was um, ongoing in 2015. And that was also, I think it was the Lanza, right? The research vessel Lanza drifted with the Arctic sea ice. Yes, that was actually, I got very lucky. I, I joined the NIS expedition during my first year of PhD as uh, because I did my PhD partly on the data collected there. Yeah. I see. Okay. That would be really interesting. And uh, maybe you tell us more uh, later on uh, what, you know, did you bring from your, what experience did you bring from NIs um, to the mosaic expedition also? I think that is uh, quite valuable if people have um, joined a similar expedition already. And just going to, uh, going a bit further back in your CV, because we want to really know <laughs> who you are. So you studied in uh, Paris, you said. So you studied oceanography there? Yes, I studied oceanography masters and then did my PhD on the Arctic Ocean. Okay, I see. So um, were you also uh, born and raised in Paris or was that more closer to the ocean? Yeah, I, yeah I'm from Brittany. So west coast of France, so close to the sea. <laughs> I was sort of guessing. Okay, yeah, because I was wondering where your interest uh, for the ocean came from. I, uh, yeah, I mean, from there. And my dad used to sail a lot. And I spent all my holidays since oh. I was a kid on a sailing boat. So I guess it's not a pure hazard that I end up doing uh, oceanography. <laughs> so my question... My question about you being seasick is kind of obsolete, right? I uh, know. I think everyone can be seasick. Oh, okay. And I've been already seasick, not on Mosaic, not during the transit back. We had a very slow, very nice transit. But I'm usually not, I'm not very sensitive to seasickness. So it has to be quite rough seas before I get seasick. I see. Okay. Okay. So as a kid, you already uh, joined your father sailing on the Atlantic then? Yeah, yeah, we sailed a lot in the Mediterranean seas as family. Ah. And then also in crossing English Channel a couple of times. So, yeah. yeah, coastal sailing mainly with the family. What was it really that um, was um, catching you um, in, in terms of the ocean? I mean, is there something, you know, that you can describe what really um, made you interested, fascinated by the ocean? I think it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's an odd, an entire feeling. I think first I feel like it's freedom. Being in the ocean, it's freedom. You don't have roads. You don't have paths. You just go wherever you want. So it's, that's a huge feeling for me. It's a freedom. And then it's, it's the same. I mean, it's blue. It's just blue, but it's always different. I, I'm the kind of person who can spend hours watching, uh, at the sea just sitting on a bench or on a boat, whatever, and just watching the ocean for hours. And it's, some people might say it's just the ocean. It's always the same. For me, it's always different. You get a different waves. You get maybe a whale, some animals. You get birds. You get, depending on the wind, depending on the tide, it's always different. And I think that's this, uh, that's really what I liked in the ocean. Okay, Yeah. And when did the Arctic came in? I don't really know how it came, but I, I know that I, I've always been interested by more the 
like code region, let's say. So I remember when I was in school, for example, we could have an English person to whom we write letter and she's writing us back. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want someone from the UK or from Spain. I wanted someone from Canada. Boring. <laughs> Canada. Okay, I see. <laughs> and yeah, like my last holidays have been in Iceland, in Norway, in Canada. Or I, I'm not really interested in tropics, let's say. So yeah, it's, I don't know really how it came, but I've always been really attracted by the polar regions on the sea ice, I think. And then um, with um, your PhD joining the NICE project, was that the first time you went to the Arctic or have you been there before? No, the, that was the first time I was going to the Arctic during NICE. And then you got the polar virus as well or what yeah, happened? So, I, <laughs> so actually three months before I went uh, to NICE, I was in Antarctica for six weeks. Yes. And then I joined NICE and yeah, then it, Uh, yeah, the polar virus kind of hit me and I just kept going. <laughs> so you traveled from one part, from one pole of the to the other one within six months or so? There was three months in between both. Aha. Uh-huh. And what did you, what do you like better now? Arctic, Arctic or Antarctica? It's different. I would say in the Arctic, I was mainly, I went to the peninsula, but it's less ice. I mean, it's an ocean for me. Yeah. In the Arctic, you get the sea ice. So it's, I think I like both. There's penguins are very nice and cute in the Antarctic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But uh, the Arctic is, I really like the Arctic. But I've been way more often in the Arctic also. So I know better on the different seasons also. If you're not studying, what do you do? <laughs> Swimming, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, so I sail, <laughs> but I'm not. I have a boat in Brittany, a small dinghy, but I sail also in Bergen in the sailing club quite often, like a couple of times a week, <laughs> let's say. And will Ooh. you take your boat to Tromsø then, I guess? No, it's a dinghy, so it stays in uh, Brittany when I go back for holidays. And then otherwise, I'm doing a lot of uh, climbing, hiking, skiing. I mean, in Norway, that's what you do in winter. That's a perfect <laughs> place, Yes. Yeah, so you chose the place on purpose <laughs> to go to Norway to work and live with all the active people who actually, I think they, is it in Bergen the same? When I was in Tromsø, it was like after 2 p.m. people went out for skiing and I was left alone in the office. Uh, it's more three, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Usually in summer when it's good weather, it's more like, Is as long as it's good weather, everyone goes out. Yeah. So even if in the middle of the week, like yesterday, for example, we had good weather. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I went for a walk from 2.30 to 4.30 because you have to enjoy the sun yeah. when it's there. <laughs> That's true. That's actually similar now in Bremen, huh? Yeah. Okay. Zoe, I think uh, you brought some music or we actually made a really nice um, playlist with the music um, you suggested. So the first song we have here is um, Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. We are back uh, with the iSpot and with Zoe Koenig. 
And uh, we want to know more about what an oceanographer does, especially because we have in this podcast, we have interviewed a lot of sea ice people, a lot of atmosphere people. We, we actually don't really know much uh, uh, about what uh, an ocean team person does and, and also what the work entails. So maybe as a first uh, question, I would ask you, How does your job look like on a daily basis? And if you had to explain it to somebody that has never heard of what an oceanographer is, what do you do? What, what, who you are as, a, as an oceanographer? Uh, on the field or at the office? Both, both. Uh, yeah, maybe first on the, on the office and then on the field. Yeah. So at the office, basically, we spend a lot of time in front of the computer. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Analyzing data mainly that uh -huh. we collect. I mean, I'm doing ex observational physical oceanography, so I work with mm -hmm. data. So we go on the field, collect the data, and actually the work starts when we come back to the office, and that yeah. we process and analyze all the data, and that we then find results or get idea of how the ocean is, and then we write publications for the science world too improves the knowledge so that's how it mm -hmm. works we have also a lot of meetings conferences of course and then on the right. field so what an oceanographer do i mean what i do is physical oceanography so what i'm looking at is mainly the currents on the water mm -hmm. in the ocean so i'm not looking at the biology or chemistry or stuff like that in the ocean so my main the main thing we are measuring in the ocean It's the temperature, the salinity, mm -hmm. and the currents, so the speed of the water. So with that, we manage to get an idea of how the ocean moves and what's its properties. I mean, we also measure other stuff, such as turbulence, such to give an idea of the mixing that we can have in the ocean. Okay. We also measure some gases that gives an idea of how long the water has been at depth, for example. Mm -hmm. So... So we have different parameters, but the idea is really to get to know how the ocean moves and what's what's the properties of the water masses. And and you're doing this uh, in in a specific region, which is which is the Arctic, right? So you're Arctic uh, physical oceanographer, is that correct? Yes, I'm focusing on the Arctic. What is different, maybe, in the Arctic than compared to the rest of of the water in the planet, and maybe what is particularly interesting for you as an oceanographer in the Arctic uh, that maybe it's not there in, in other regions, maybe not in the tropics? Oh, there's a lot of things that are... I mean, one main thing is that we have sea ice in the Arctic. Yay! <laughs> and, and sea ice basically isolates the ocean from the atmosphere, more or less. So in the rest of the ocean, we have the atmosphere, on the ocean and that creates the waves that creates a lot of mixing a lot of dynamics in the ocean when we arrived in the arctic we have the atmosphere with the storm but instead of having the ocean we have the sea ice so a lot of signals that are usually transmitted from the atmosphere to the ocean are not transmitted that easily in the arctic so the arctic is known for us as a quiet ocean and then in terms of fieldwork Everything is difficult in the Arctic, especially when we work on the ocean, because we don't have access to the ocean, basically. Right. 
<laughs> so we have to make holes every time we want to measure something. We also have a lot of instruments that don't really like the cold because the ocean is minus two. So it's below zero. It's minus 1.8. It's below zero because it's salty. So it can reach mm -hmm. negative temperature even if it's still liquid. Yeah. Uh, so we reach minus 1.8 and a lot of instruments are good until minus 5. But before, when it's minus 30 outside, it creates a lot of uh, difficulties to carry them on the field before putting them in the water, for example. But do, do these instruments work fine? Once you have carried them onto the sea ice and made the hole and put them into the water, are they working fine at the temperatures or... Do you have to have some engineering skills and to, you know? <laughs> no, usually once they're in the water, everything is fine. But carrying them to the water can be tricky. <laughs> Normally, from a from a vessel, vessel in the open ocean, you would just <laughs> let it hang from from the ship. You know, you have that wire that can be, I don't know how many thousand meter long, and um, you can bring the instruments there but um, on the sea ice you have to bring it out there first yeah and even though we run so that's what the wire thing you're referring to is what we call the ctd it's just a big instrument mm -hmm. measuring temperature and salinity down to the bottom of the ocean mm -hmm. so we used it during mosaic we run it from the ship so ctd maybe just explain uh, for for our listeners yeah. so ctd means Uh, conductivity temperature depth so it's measure conductivity is actually salinity temperature and the depth and it's the instrument looks funny because it has all these bottles niskan bottles around it i think 24 or yeah on, on polar stand it's uh, 24 bottles of 12 liters each yes okay and then you know it's like a rosette i think uh, people yeah. are saying um so um the bottles are in in a circle And um, and then you can from the from the computer we close them actually from the ship exactly at yeah. different depths. Yeah. You can decide what at what depth you want to have the water. So yeah. this is really oceanographers have a wish list here, and then they just <laughs> get the water where they want it from. Yeah. But so in the open ocean we run that very easily, but on in the Arctic, especially during winter. When it's minus 30, the sensor doesn't like the cold, so they had all this shelter to protect the sensor until they reach the the water. So even running instruments from the ship is difficult. <laughs> mm, I see. So so here's my question, Zoe. How did you um, how was the CTD uh, brought onto the ice? Was there a crane or something, or how did that work? We had a very long uh, story with the ship CTD during our leg because so you, we park the ship and then you usually have to make a hole by the ship to get the CTD going in the water. So we did the first hole. We used the crane for this one. But then five days later, the hole broke. So we did a new hole that this time we could use straight with the Shibo Bacon. So that was easier. We didn't, we didn't have to use the crane. And then five days later, it broke again. Oh, so no. we actually did a third one. <laughs> so in total, we did three holes for the ship CTD. Yeah. And these are big holes because they are like two meters per three meters or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And how did you, how do you drill the hole? So we did that in cooperation with Team Eco. And, okay. Um, I mean, we have different ways. So either we use just a nice drill, a classic ice drill. Mm -hmm. But for the ship CTD, it's so big that it would take forever. So we use the nice scoring to drill all around. And then we use the ship uh, crane to lift the blocks of ice. Ah, so okay. we just like cut basically around and then we lifted the blocks. That looks like a lot of work. <laughs> anyway. We spend a lot of time making holes in T-Motion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see. Okay, and then you put the hat above the CTD so it's a bit um, protected from... Yeah, no, we didn't do that on like five because the temperature, we got down to minus 15. So... This day we actually run the CTD and we just try to be quick on the maneuver up in the water, in the water and back on deck. But the rest of the time it was minus five, minus 10 minimum. So we didn't need to use a shelter. The only thing is that we got the refreezing period and we knew we were on the floor only for a month, more or less. So we didn't want to have our instrument to the hole to refreeze because then it takes a lot of time to reopen them again. So the first part of the, during the first like 10 days, it was actually still melting at the floor. So we didn't have to maintain the hole, but then for the next three weeks, it was freezing. So we, every day we maintained the hole. So just, we had like six, seven holes on the ice that we had to maintain. So just go with a hand, uh, a chisel or a saw, manual saw, and just cut around and pick up ice. You were saying, maybe just going back, because we will have more time to, to discuss uh, Mosaic and what you did and what the Ocean team did also on, on Leg 5 and in general, maybe also on Mosaic. Uh, but maybe more in general about um, expeditions. What do you, you were mentioning, you, you both work and on the field and on, on the office. Is there a part that you prefer? I mean, I would guess field work is way more exciting. Yeah, field work is very exciting. And I do physical, I do observations because I like going on the field. Mm -hmm. But um I also, what I, I also like being at the office and looking at my own data, the one I collected, mm -hmm. because it makes the office work very interesting. I mean, much more interesting because you know how difficult it is to get this data. And if you work on your, the data you collected, you're kind of proud of them in a way, I think. Yeah, I bet. I mean, they'll say, oh yeah, I, I dig. 15 holes for this data for the, to get this temperature <laughs> the data. Yeah. So you know also how valuable and precious they are. And that's, yeah. I think, quite important. You're using this data to, to, to get answers somehow and also to, to get a different perspective that, that maybe from, from field work is not that obvious. And you have been in quite a lot of campaigns and quite a lot of cruises how do you get involved i mean maybe also with the perspective of as a imagining you're a phd student and you really want to be involved in in this field campaigns or you know moving towards field work a little bit more how does one get to know or like to get into this field world so to say so i got quite lucky in a way because i was um 
my PhD supervisor really trusted me. So I went on NICE without not much experience and I got to deploy autonomous platform. And so I, I got lucky on that side that she really trusted me and said, yeah, it just goes away and uh, yeah, it's fine. I always think that the more difficult is to join the first expedition because you arrive, you don't. So you need someone who is going to trust you because when you arrive on the first expedition and you don't know anything, you're not autonomous and people ask to show you stuff. So it's you're here to help, but you also need to learn. But then when you join the second one, you can say, oh, but I know how to operate the CTD, for example, or I know how to process this data. I know how to do that. And then suddenly you're not anymore a burden in a way, but you're someone who can work autonomously. So it's a bit of a circle. So now I know that now if I go on the field, people know that I'm capable of doing it and that I, they can trust me because I've already shown that they can, they could trust me. So my advice for a PhD student would be really to try to get on the first one. That's probably the most difficult to get on. But then once you get on the first one, you usually have more opportunities to go after. Yeah. Zoe, are you also, is it also that, um, that people know, um, of you being able to run particular instruments and that's uh, why they invite you to join a certain cruise? Uh, yeah. So I joined several cruises because I was coming with my own instrument, like glider or autonomous platforms that were a bit difficult. So buoys, big buoys, that was my PhD project to deploy. So they were a bit tricky to deploy. So you need to know how to deploy them. And then, uh, yeah, I guess Mosaic, I ended up joining also because I'd done NICE and I had the experience. So, so that helped a lot for running a camp or stuff like that. Yeah. So what did you really bring from NIS that helped you on, on Mosaic? I mean, apart from the instrumental part that most of the instruments we had, I already worked with them. I think I brought in a way, I mean, there was a lot of people who had this experience on Mosaic. I was not the only one, but more like knowing that you can plan everything But usually it's not gonna up, it's not gonna go the way it's you plan it. That's what we heard from several people already. Yeah, you always have to be flexible. But if you know it, then it's. I mean, I knew that you had to be flexible in the Arctic. So then it's. I, I didn't feel it like something I had to adapt to because I knew it was gonna be like that in a way. Same for clothing, for example, because it's actually quite important to know how to dress when you're on the field. And if you don't know it, you get either too warm and you sweat and then you cold or you get too cold at the beginning. So this kind of experience on, on more tricks of having several pair of gloves or because we work with water, so we always have wet hands. So it's, it's a lot of small tricks maybe that I got from my experience before. I think we can hear more and we can jump into uh, deeper into Mosaic and, and, uh, and how Mosaic was organized and how you uh, were joining and the work that you, uh, you Zoe, have done. But before, we can listen to another uh, song, which is also uh, your suggestion from the Flashdance movie. And it's uh, What a Feeling by Irene Cara. 
so Zoe joined uh, Mosaic Deck 5 and uh, that was actually a pretty interesting last leg of Mosaic because um, with leg 4 the former ice camp has to had to be abandoned because the ice broke uh, the ice flow broke and then Polarstern um, then left from the original location and went back to towards Svalbard to pick up new people, right? Yeah, so we didn't go in Svalbard. We stayed uh, in the ice. But yes, we more or less came almost to the location of the old flow, actually. But that was already in front, right? That was with um, Kapitän Dranitsyn? I see, that was with Trioshnikov. So when did you leave um, Bergen? So I left Bergen 17th of July, started the quarantine, two weeks quarantine on 18th of July, and we left Bremerhaven on Trioshnikov on the 3rd of August, and we were on Polarstern, exchange done on the 12th of August. I see. So you went to Bremerhaven, went on uh, in a hotel to have the quarantine, and then Trioshnikov was there in Bremerhaven to pick you up. I see. Okay. And then uh, you met with Polarsch there on 12th of August. Yeah, so 10 days later. Yeah. And we met a bit earlier. I can't remember the exact date, but on 12th of October, we actually boarded on Polarsch. Okay. So we exchanged a personal. Okay, and the place of exchange you said that was already in the in the ice at the ice edge, or where was that? We were in the ice edge in Fram Strait, so not far from Svalbard, but we didn't go in the fjord yeah. in Svalbard. Yeah. Okay, and then how did this exchange happen? Was there, you know, a bridge across the vessels, or how did that work out? So they wanted to put a gangway because that would have been the easiest for us yeah. to move from one yeah. ship to the other. But it ended up that the ship were not exactly at the same level. Mm. So they couldn't put the gangway. I see. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> so how, how big was the difference? About 10 meters or something? Or five? I, no, it was <laughs> not that much. I can't say because they had several decks. So yeah, okay. I don't. Maybe they could have used different deck. I don't mm -hmm. know, but it didn't work in the end. So we did the transfer by mummy chair, which ah, is basically. Oh, we remember that, that from leg one. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we we use the mummy chair for exchanging first for the first couple of days just for the handover because we needed to know where stuff are on the ship, how the instrument work. Mm. So we talked to the people from Lake 4, but we were still sleeping on Triosnikov. Okay. <laughs> and then we did the exchange of everyone yes. with the, the mummy chair. Yeah. That took an entire morning, more or less. I see. And we actually put our luggage in a container because then they carried only one container. I was going to say, it had to take forever. Yeah, because a mummy chair is five people. So if you add the luggage, a mummy chair becomes one yeah. person. And yeah. it's 100 It was 70 people to exchange. Right. So oh my God. <laughs> taken quite some time. So how long was this uh, exchange in, in, I mean, in total with, with, you know, meeting team leg four and yeah. all that? It was quite quick. It's uh, ended th three days. And actually okay. the duration was not decided by us. It was decided mainly by the cargo operation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was also cargo exchange on fuel. 
we got uh, fuel. Fuel, and I guess also uh, more eggs for cakes and the stuff like that was exchanged. Also some food, yes. Yes. But, uh, we, we still missed some some stuff in the end, but yeah. <laughs> oh my God, what did you miss? Oh, uh, we ran out of chocolate, but that's... Oh God. <laughs> Catastrophe, I would say. And we ran out of cheese. Cheese also. Oh, for French people... <laughs> yeah, can be hard. Really, I mean, we had blue cheese, so for French people, it's actually okay. But it was the only thing left. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> blue cheese was okay. available. Uh, we actually refilled in food uh, in Svalbard for the last ten days of uh, the cruise because we didn't really have much left. Okay, and then, um, because uh, going back, I mean, <laughs> we, we are almost at the end of the cruise, but we want to um, start with, um, with uh, leg five. So you had the exchange, and so you met quite, um, quite a lot, team four, which is nice, you know, to handover, yeah. doing some handover. We needed at least a day and a half in terms of science mm -hmm. to exchange. So we got in total two days and then actually one day to move the mm -hmm. people around. People on, on board, the crew is probably really busy um, during such an exchange because they have to, you know, really, um, I don't know, clean up everything. And yeah, they have to clean up. And there was also like all the deck crew was was uh, occupied, busy doing the container, sea tenor exchange and the fuel also. So it was a busy time for everyone. And then uh, once the exchange was um, done, then you went um, back further north of Polarstern, yes. right? Yes. So we went uh, up north in the in the Arctic, like deep Arctic. We used something that is not there all the time. It was uh, Polynian north of Greenland. So it means that basically there was no sea ice north of Greenland for quite some time. That Polynia means that there's there's an open part that you can just sail through. Yeah. yeah. So we use that to sail up to actually almost 88 north without sea ice. It was quite amazing. There was no sea ice. Mm -hmm. And then we okay. crossed the North Pole and ended up on the other side to set up the camp. Okay. Ten days later. Who did um, decide on this particular ice flow for, for the second camp? The sea ice guys, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit... It, <laughs> the problem in the Arctic in summer is that it's very foggy, so we couldn't fly. So usually, mm -hmm. on leg one, they use a helicopter flight to look at flows. To check out the ice flows. But we couldn't do mm -hmm. that. So what happened is that a morning, we there was a big ridge. Polarstern was trying to go through for a couple of hours already. And uh, actually, we found that this flow could be suitable. And then a team of people from ICE went with the mummy chair on the floor, check if it could be good. And then it was actually okay, and we decided to stay there. But we didn't use a big flow reconnaissance flow survey as they did during leg one, because we couldn't. We knew we were not setting a camp for a year, but only for a month. So you need the flow good enough, but you don't need the perfect flow, in a way. That's a bit the difference that happened for us and, and then uh, once you decided okay this will be the camp um, Polarstern um, stopped I think the so no actually so we didn't anchor because the problem in summer is that anchor the ice is not solid enough in a way to anchor a ship 
So they actually just stabilize the ship with the thrusters all the time to be next to the flow. How was this camp, the second camp? I mean, um, was that similar to the first one? Probably it was a bit lighter version of so it. So we went for lighter installation. On that. Also, compared to the first uh, rotation, we knew we had a limited time. So we started science straight away. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. built the camp while doing science in parallel. Ah, okay. To... Mm -hmm. to get the measurements going as soon as possible. So we started with a key, some key instrument, key measurements that started straight away. And then we built the camp mm -hmm. around that. So, and we all went with lighter installations mm -hmm. for Med City or mm -hmm. Ocean City, for example. So it took about a week to get the camp with all the instruments in the water for us, at least. Okay. On Med City mm -hmm. was set up mm -hmm. in three days, for example. The weather helps. It was zero degrees or minus five. So it's easy in a way to work in these conditions. Yeah. So was it rather foggy or most of the time sunny when you set up the camp? We got... You're smiling. Yeah, I should... <laughs> um, I can't remember the exact statistics that uh, the weather person gave us on board. But we got about 83% of days with fog. I see. Okay. I can't remember if it's 80 or 83, but oh, no. about that number. I think how many days of sun was like less than 10. And that's not okay. only for so, the camp. It was for the entire two months of uh, searching for the flow and then transit back. Not really summer ocean weather, I guess. <laughs> that's the Arctic. I mean, no. we know the Arctic in summer is foggy and that's because of the melt ponds. So if you get a lot of meltpons, you get more fog. Why? Why is that? I think we talked about that earlier in an episode, but we can. Uh, there's no harm about repeating this. Maybe you can explain. I'm not an atmos person, so I don't want to say mistakes. <laughs> but it's mainly because you get more open water and more moisture, and then you get more fog. I won't yeah. say more because I don't yeah. know exactly. Mm -hmm. But that's what I've been told. <laughs> Okay, Zoe, I think we will continue talking about um, Lake 5 in a moment, but uh, we can play another song, um, also from the movie Foodlose, which I don't know. Uh, and this time it's uh, by Kenny Loggins. Now we are at, the, at that point in time when we basically arrived at the new ice flow, And, uh, and everything like the work really starts like the, the, the work on ice at least. So maybe, um, how was the, how did your team and like team ocean organize? Uh, how, how was the schedule? Maybe how was the, what were the main tasks also? Because as we explained, we know quite a lot about other teams, but we, basically don't know anything about uh, about team ocean so we are a very small team on board already we are uh, okay. four people only four people yes so it's a it's a okay. small team so we relied a lot on actually the other team that for polar bear guarding and stuff like that because we couldn't do everything Uh, so usually we split in two groups so maybe compared to other teams Like, for example, the Atmos team from what I've saw, or even the CIS team, they worked a bit project by project. So one person is responsible for that. One person is responsible for that. In Team Ocean, we are such a small team that everyone is responsible for everything in a way. So 
we all knew how to operate the CTD, how to run the turbulence measurement on the ice. So we could basically shift, like everyone could run any instrument in the team, more or less. So that was a bit the idea. And then we usually pair in teams or alone depends to try to get as many measurements as, as we could in parallel, because compared to maybe the Atmos team who have most of their instruments running on their own continuously, we have a lot of instruments that we need to operate to get a profile. So that means we need to spend maybe two hours just operating one instrument to get data. And then we, so that's a, maybe the core of what we were doing is to operate these single instruments. So turbulence instrument and also the CTD where we had to be there. Wait, I have to ask yeah. something. There was this, you sent some pictures Zoe, and we will show this. We will share this with the, with, um, with the followers on Instagram and Twitter, maybe uh, there was this funny instrument you, you were carrying. It had a rod and then it has a funny yeah. brush thingy okay, yeah. uh, at the end so i get is that the turbulence instrument yeah or? that's one of the two instruments uh turbulence instruments that we were running on the camp and can you explain what it i mean uh what it is at the end what's so, uh, hanging there so basically the sensor are at the head of the instrument so what i'm carrying towards the front mm -hmm. and it's small sensors that measure the turbulence in the ocean so the mixing It measures, uh, yes, a very small scale variation of the temperature, of the salinity, and mm -hmm. of the currents also. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay, okay. So the the speed of of water, yeah. so very, to say, currents. But like yeah? When I say small scale variation, is like on a centimeter scale, very small scale. Okay. And what other instruments? So if we had the CTD. We talked about this. We had what is it called? This this uh... vertical microstructure provider. And we have his friend, which measures similar friend, uh, structure, which is the MSS, microstructure sensor, something like that. <laughs> But it, it measures also the turbulence. Yeah. And then you have more instruments? You yeah, said and then we have a lot of instruments that we don't need to operate on a daily basis that are moored in the ice. So it's quite some work to put them in the water, but then they measure continuously. So then it's instrument measuring currents or also temperature, salinity, in a lead, we had this system. And this instrument doesn't need a daily maintenance, but they still need, we still had to so maintain the hole and also go there maybe every two, three days to download the data, for example, or check that everything is okay or Stuff like that. So, so that is an instrument you have in the water all the time. Yes, and we had a lot of them. We had maybe 10 of them in the ah, on the floor. ah okay. So mm -hmm. measuring different mm -hmm. things. But, mm -hmm. I mean, we always measure temperature, salinity, and currents, but at different location, at different frequencies. Mm -hmm. So we get different uh, information depending on the instruments. Okay. What was maybe, I mean, so you spent a lot of time on, on the ice and, and specifically on, on uh, Ocean City, right? Yes. How does, first of all, how does Ocean City look like maybe? And second of all, what was your favorite 
thing to do on on ice. I mean, you had a lot of instruments and you had a lot of things to to carry out. So maybe what was your your favorite like the moment where you were thinking, okay, I actually I I, I like it. I could do this all the time. Yeah, so Ocean City on Lake Five was different than Lake One. I mean, Lake mm -hmm. One to Three because we didn't put the big tent up. Okay, we just used a very small pop-up tent, and uh, because that was enough, we didn't need to. It was not cold, so we didn't need heater. Mm -hmm. So it was okay. It was a bit cold sometimes, but uh, mm -hmm. it was cold for us. But the instruments were fine. Okay. In in the previous legs, so the tent and the heaters were for the instruments, not necessarily for the people, yes. right? But then they okay. usually they heat it up to like zero <laughs> degrees, maybe. But we since we didn't have that, we were yeah. maybe minus five sometime in the tent. But we got protected from the wind. Yeah. That was the main thing, also. So it's way less okay. cold. Yes. And basically, right. it's a tent where we had a big hole to put our instrument in the water. Mm -hmm. And with some okay. electronics, that was also the idea of the tent to protect the electronic. And then what I liked the most, I think I liked, it's hard to say what I liked the most, because if you do the same thing every day, then you stop, you stop liking it usually. So what I liked was actually to change. <laughs> Makes sense. Because it's, yeah. it's, I mean, I would say VMP, like the turbulence instrument was nice because we were outside, but if you do it every day, then you stop liking it. And then it's nice to try to do something else. And that's something I was trying to do in the team to not have one person running one instrument every day because you get bored. And that's when you are not very careful also on how you operate the instrument and you make mistakes. So it's just nice sometimes to just switch from one instrument to the other and just get something different. If you're a bit tired, like some people I knew on my team sometimes were a bit tired, then they run the ship CTD because then you stay on board. If you like are okay, but a bit cold, then you rather go to the MSS because you're in the ocean city and not outside. So it depends, really. So it seems you were a really uh, good uh, team lead, huh? You were really taking care of, of your people and seeing, okay, this one maybe needs another task today because he or she is too tired maybe um, of, of that particular um, work. I mean, that's my way of seeing it is that science, especially on the field, has to be fun. And if it stops mm -hmm. being fun, yeah. then it's not good, I would say. So it's just a matter yeah. of trying to make everyone happy. And in a small team, it's important, I would say, even more. Because if you have one person yeah. unhappy, it's actually a quarter of the team that is unhappy. <laughs> so it's a lot. <laughs> How did you in general organize your team? So I had a very, I have a very nice team, but quite, a, it was a very nice team, but with very strong personalities in different ways. And we were only four. So I never called for a meeting almost. <laughs> so the, it was more, we decided like coming back from the eyes. Oh, what do we do tomorrow? And I had an idea. So I didn't go on weekly schedule because I know, especially we were only there for a month and it made no sense for me. Yeah. And it also depends mm -hmm. on the weather. Like, for example, I know the VMP instrument. So the turbulence instrument does not work properly. We don't get good data out of it when it's bad, when it's the drift is too strong. So when the drift was strong, there was just no point of running this instrument. Or for example, some days you have to download data. It takes some time and it's outside. And it's better to do it when it's a day where it's not too cold or not too windy. 
So, and it can be a day later. Usually it's not critical. It has to be on this day. So I try to be a bit flexible so that we get the best mm. working conditions in a way. And we got a lot mm-hmm. of problems mm-hmm. with the instruments on T-Motion during like five. Okay. Ah, okay. Because the instruments have been out for a year without any proper maintenance mainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we actually had quite, we needed quite some flexibility on that to also take, uh, I mean, repair the instrument and also not plan on using them in a way the day after. And you were also um, in the Arctic when there was the Arctic um, sea ice minimum that year. I don't remember what day it actually was. Was it around the 17th of September or something? Yeah, I think we reached it when we were still at the flow. So yeah, probably something like that. Yeah, yeah. But there was nothing, I mean, the, the ice flow was stable until um, you left it, or was there also something to see in terms of sea ice melt? So actually, it started to refreeze already at that date. So we, the melt ah. were refrozen mm-hmm. for us. Uh, we had a bit of dynamics of the flow, but on general, on average, the flow was stable. We got a crack that appeared in the middle of the flow the last day, but everything was already picked up. So it didn't influence our, our work at all. And we had to relocate the ship after two days because a big crack arrived. But it's the same. It's for just the first two days. So there was no, there was just a power line on, on the camp. There was no big installation. So it was not, it's annoying. But during the last, the four, let's say the three weeks and a half of the flow, it was stable. Was there something about the conditions maybe or like about the, the work that or how it was, everything was set up that you find you found a bit more challenging maybe? Um, or what was the, the thing that maybe did not work as well from your point I mean, of view? On a, if we look at the ideal plan, nothing worked <laughs> in a way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But if you look at what we've done with what we had, I think we did the most we could, the better we could. What was challenging maybe is, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of challenge. So we got a lot of troubleshooting of instruments to do. That was challenging. And I maybe didn't expect that much trouble with the instruments if themselves that had some troubles and we had to fix. And But um, did the change of plan and, I mean, it was not, again, as you said, nothing really went as as it was uh, planned at the beginning. And uh, it was also not planned, for example, that you had to set up a camp at, at this point. It was uh, in the in the general idea was that you would arrive and everything was already uh, set in, in place. Is there anything that you were not able to do because of this that you regret somehow that, or that you would have liked to have done? So actually, I think people on Lake 5, at least, we were all very happy to move to a new floor and do our own measurements because mm-hmm. Lake 5 otherwise was a bit designed as a leg to wrap up things. Right. And yeah. it's it's not... So we did, for example, we had three weeks of cargo, like just organizing the containers on the way back to ship everything. And if it was actually nice to have... to do proper science or not only clean let's say mm-hmm. yes so we i mean i won't say we were happy about that but we we in the end we were all quite satisfied with how it ended up being okay say. was there something that surprised you zoe in that 
that entire expedition? I think, I mean, for me, the main thing is that I've been mainly in smaller expeditions. On Mosaic is, was huge. So it was a lot of people. It was 60 scientists on board. And it's um, on a lot of teams. So I, I'm NICE, if I compare to NICE, we were 30 scientists. We also had the different teams, but we were only 30 scientists. So mm -hmm. everything is was bigger. And maybe what impressed me was like all the collaboration the collaboration between the different teams worked really well, I think, and all the logistic part, like with the power cable and, yeah, that was, on NICE, for example, there was not that many power cables, for example, to pull out. <laughs> so now to get on with the with the dancing flow, so to say, uh, it's another song from Flash Dance, and it's one of my absolute favorites, and it's also on my running playlist, and it's Maniac by Michael Sambello. Okay, we are back with the ice pot today with Team Ocean lead Zoe König from Leg Four, uh, Leg Five, sorry, from Leg Five of Mosaic. And um, to hear the full story, we also would like to know from Zoe how the ice camp was packed and then how was returning home? Uh, yeah, so we packed uh, the ice camp in... So at the difference of uh, Lake 4, where they had to pack in a hurry, we packed uh, knowing the date. So we could plan that. <laughs> so we left on the 20th of September. So packing went actually quite quickly. We had one instrument that could be a bit of a trouble to to lift up from the water because it's a hundred kilos instrument moored under the ice mm -hmm. so it's a bit tricky to recover but it went actually very well uh, faster than everything we saw yeah. so everything went well but then we started the so for us for our leg once we were done with packing the camp it was not the end of the work at all because we had to organize the return cargo of a year of expedition. I see. Oh my God. So that was basically on Polarstern. We had, uh, I can't remember, but a lot of containers. And everything has, be, has been moved around, of course, for the entire year. And we had to organize that so that when we arrived in Bremerhaven, the gear could go back to their different institutions. Yeah. And you also, you must have also hundreds or thousands of bottles with water yeah. on board. Yeah, so that's huh? more a problem of Team Eco and BGC, but yeah. <laughs> okay, not so much of the we ocean bit, team. A okay. bit of water, but not that much. <laughs> Now mm -hmm. it's uh, more like about uh, putting everything in boxes and making sure to label everything properly for the customs. Because we had to deal with that. The instruments, or what, what do you mean by everything? Yeah, all the instruments. But the instrument, but also yeah. everything we had mm -hmm. in the labs and everything that has been used also in the winter, like the big tent that, uh, that was on board. Yeah. So it was not only what we used, it was also everything that has been brought as pairs. And uh, so for T-Motion, it, it took about 10 days to do it, I think. And it's, the problem is that the containers are organized on three decks. On some instruments that were stored quickly on the upper deck had to go on the lower deck, for example. So we carried a lot of stuff. 
a lot of instruments on heavy instruments by hand. I think I easily carry more than a ton of cargo over the three decks. Wow. We, we got fit at the end. <laughs> yes. We didn't need to go to the gym. <laughs> no. No gym worked for, sure. for you, yeah. <laughs> Not yet. So that was, uh, yeah. that took about 10 days, more or less. Mm-hmm. On the way back also, we had a bit of extra time. So we did some ice station where we just stopped for a day to do some measurements at the ice edge. So you had to unpack the instruments again? So we or? packed what, the one we were not using. Because when you okay. go only for a day on the ice, we run only the turbulence instrument, actually. We didn't okay. with holes to put instruments. It makes no sense for one day. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But so so the station was kind of planned. It was not out of the blue. Okay, here's some CS. Let's have another station. Or no, there were. How I did mean, it happen? There were, so the thing is that since we were quite far north, we had some extra buffer time to reach Svalbard, and we actually traveled faster than what expecting in the ice. So we had some extra time, and we decided to do some ice station. So we picked the location to be a bit um, coherent and have interesting. Uh, pictures to look at but they were opportunistic they were not planned at the beginning and then uh, we stopped in Svalbard to give the rifles back ah okay these had to be uh, returned to to Neolisund ah so you not you did not travel to Longyearbyen but to Neolisund yeah we went to Longyearbyen to pick up the cheese and the food and then to Neolisund right. to get the rifle and, uh, but see. with Corona we were not allowed to go and land so we are corona-free. Uh, Svalbard is corona-free, but we were not allowed to meet. <laughs> Still not allowed. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Come no. on. <laughs> and then we had about a week then from Longabin to Bremerhaven to write. Then you arrived in Bremerhaven on the 12th of October. That was a Monday morning. I remember that well because we had our interns joining one of these, you know, ships that would um, welcome Polarstern <laughs> in Bremerhaven. And um, they did quite a little bit of documentation for our social media channels. But um, you being on, on board Polarstern, how was that arriving in Bremerhaven? I think it was different for everyone. For me, I didn't have family. I'm not German, so I didn't have family waiting for me. So I think for a lot of people, it was a bit overwhelming because we've been for three months in the Arctic with the same people and suddenly there are new faces. And I have to say that uh, I think that's a feeling that quite several people got is that arriving in the second wave of Corona was not easy. Uh, because uh, when we went down the gangway, it was like, now you have to wear a mask and uh, have two meter distance. And you don't see people. And there were a lot of people, but you don't really see them because they all have the mask. And we were not used to that. I mean, at least personally, coming from nowhere, I never wore a mask before. <laughs> so it was a bit uh, overwhelming in a way. But I think it was nice, the arrival. So so we don't know too much about what happened, you know. We we saw Polarstern came in and people waved from the boats and and then there was also um a press um event, so the media event where um you know Markus Rex and um other people went. But but what happened um to participants of Leg Five like you? Did you just uh 
go to Bremerhaven train station and leave. So some people had uh, to stay for doing some cargo work again because everything was in the containers oh. but the ship has to be unloaded yeah. in two days or three days before going to shipyard. So quite some people stayed. In T-Motion, we managed to do all the cargo work on board so we didn't have to stay. But I went basically to the hotel in Bremerhaven. So we arrived in the morning, we had lunch on board, and at two it was done. We had the bus waiting for us and we left. Did you cry? Uh, yeah, we cr Was it emotional to, to say goodbye to all the others? Yeah, of course, yeah. it was emotional. We did that on board, not on land, because we're not allowed to. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the last, last chance you had to, to hug people. But then it Actually, a lot of people were still at the hotel. We we kind of ended up at the same hotel, and some people stayed for the cargo. So we kind of recreated a little Paul Ashton at the hotel with yeah. maybe 10, 15 people for a couple mm -hmm. of days. That helped. <laughs> yeah. So we actually, with our rotation, we missed the three months of freedom that there was in Europe yeah. because we left on mid-July where everything was normal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we came back yeah. the second wave. Maybe we make another short break with the music and then uh, we move on with um, talking about more about the Nansen Legacy project, which is a Job endorsed project. And um, yeah, your involvement there and um, connections to Mosaic and Job. The next song, it's I Love Rock and Roll, John Jett and the Black Hearts. We talk a bit more about um, Zoe and the Nansen Legacy project now. Um, Nansen Legacy is a big project in Norway, which also got uh, endorsed by the Year of Polar Prediction. And um, maybe Zoe, you can you can tell a little bit about this project. What what are the aims of the project, and what is your particular role there? So the Nansen Legacy is a Norwegian project. It's uh, huge. It's like more than 10 institutions in Norway. It's quite big. Also multidisciplinary. So you get atmosphere, ocean, uh, biology, ecology. And the main idea of this project is to look at the future, at what's happening in the Barents Sea and in the northern, north of Svalbard. So really look at the changes happening in these regions. On my participation in this project is to look at the small-scale dynamics, let's say, so mixing and turbulence happening in the Barents Sea and North of Svalbard. Is, is Nansen Legacy, does it have different work packages and you, you are in the oceanography work package or how is it structured? Yeah, they have different work packages, so uh, devel uh, technical development and uh, predictions, there are lots, and I'm part of the physical processes. That, re that joined also atmosphere processes, but also ocean processes. Yeah. I mean, for the year of polar prediction, we are usually mostly interested in, you know, atmospheric and sea ice, because this is, I don't know if you know so much about the year of polar prediction yet. Yeah, I know a bit about it. Yeah. So it's, it's this international um, project um, by the World Meteorological Organization um, to improve um, weather and uh, sea ice forecast. But um, yeah, so Nansen Legacy has, has quite a part in there, I think. 
Um, but but here um, you're working on on the ocean and especially on the Barents Sea. Was that also? I mean, because you're you're part of Nansen Legacy, that you could um, join Mosaic, or is that um, totally undisconnected? Or it's uh, connected and disconnected at the same time. So uh, when I joined Mosaic, I was not. I had a three months break in my Nansen Legacy postdoc to join, and I was actually employed by another project, uh, which is Aroma which is a project at the University of Bergen that looks at the fluxes in the Arctic and was built around uh, participating in Mosaic. And actually, when I um, got the Nansen Legacy position, I knew that maybe there was a possibility to go on Mosaic. And I asked my super my advisor at Bergen, Ilke Fair, if, if by any chance there would be a chance to join on Mosaic. And that's mm -hmm. how I ended up on Mosaic also. Cool. <laughs> Everything worked out. So you did a quite a good negotiation. Yeah. But that's why I say that the hardest is to join the first expedition. Without the NIS and all my Arctic experience, probably uh, I wouldn't have gone on Mosaic. But with that, it's like, okay, she can, if I send her, she will know what to do in a way, probably. Zoe, coming back a little bit to the year of polar prediction, I mean, um, we said it already. So um, main focus we usually have is uh, weather and sea ice, but the ocean is also a really important part. And you said it earlier already, you know, I mean, the Arctic Ocean all is connected. We have the sea ice on top of the ocean. Um, what do you think, I mean, you said, you know, a little bit about your, what, what, um, can be a very good contribution from, from the oceanographers for, um, improving predictions in the Arctic or Antarctic? I think there's a lot to do because, um, yeah, we always consider that, especially in the Arctic, the sea ice is affected by the atmosphere, but it's actually really affected by the ocean too. So in the ocean, we have this warm layer of uh, temperature at about 300 meter depth that comes from the Atlantic Ocean. And basically, if this heat comes to the surface, it can melt the entire sea ice. There's no question about that. And we observe that now we got more and more, this water is getting a bit warmer. And since we have more region of open water, we have more mixing and we can actually get this water up to the surface or at least the heat from this water up to the surface. But that's what we observe like uh, in the Barents Sea, actually, and uh, along the Siberian coast a bit now, where we have what we call the Atlantification of the Eurasian Arctic. And that creates, basically, melt the sea ice, and do that we get sea ice melt even in winter, when it's minus 30 outside. So I think better understanding of the ocean is quite critical to understand Probably not on the short-term evolution of the Arctic, but like on a rather long-term evolution of the Arctic. I mean, now you you said you're moving now to Norwegian Polar Institute to Tromsø. Yes. And what's the plan there? I mean, then you continue with Nansen Legacy. Yeah, so my postdoc is four years, and it was two years in Bergen and two years in Tromsø. But I... But it's a four-year postdoc, just a change location. 
inside the same project. Yeah, I see. Okay. And do you have any, I mean, we, sometimes we also talk about, you know, careers and science and maybe also um, being a woman in uh, working in, in science. Um, do, what, what are your plans, Zoe? Um, staying in Norway, I guess? <laughs> uh, actually, I don't know. I mean, right now I don't have a permanent position. Uh, I'm actually mm -hmm. trying to apply for to a permanent mm -hmm. position in France now. We'll see if it works or not. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. We wish you luck. <laughs> so, no, I want to keep doing research on ideally polar research and observations. So, let's see. Yeah. But it's, it's, yeah. yeah. I, I don't have a permanent position on the, I think that's the next step in my career to try to get one. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, I mean, <clears throat> talking about France, maybe, is it, is it difficult maybe being a woman in, in academia or would you say it's nowadays it's really equal, not, not a problem to get a permanent position? I won't say it's, so they have this rule that they should hire as many men as women in France. So that's actually good. But the, like I got the Institute seminar last week and you could see the numbers they hired 10. So for the 12 position of associate professor, 10 were men and two were women. So there's still a gender balance. And I think when you work on the field, it's quite strong. Mm -hmm. So on Lake 5 on Mosaic, we're 50-50, which is impressive. But my mm. cruise in wow. January, we are 20 scientists and we are three women. So any, any good advice for any... Um Early career scientist? I mean, my advice would be if that's what you want to do, just do it. I, I won't say that's the best thing to do, but just if that's what you want to do, it just do it. That's what I would say. Okay, I think we have another uh, last song before we go to the final section. It's again from Footloose and it's Let's Hear It For The Boy by Dennis Williams. We are close to the end of our interview with Zoe Koenig, um, but we are at that point of, of, the, of our episode when we have our recurrent uh, structure, so to say. So we have always these uh, back and forth of questions between our previous guest and our next guest and our current guest. So I would just start with asking uh, Zoe a question that our previous guest Uh, which was Laura Schmidt from uh, Leg 4, had for the next guest. She didn't know who it would be, uh, but she wanted to know uh, if, uh, if this expedition kind of changed somehow something about yourself. And if, especially in light of this corona situation, if you had a different attitude or approach to, well, maybe in general, life or research also uh, uh that's um i mean if it if the expedition changed me i would say I, i think i'm still the same person but maybe it make me be more confident in a way so it was the first time i ended up with some responsibilities like being on a team leader level and stuff like that and i so i was a bit scared i have to say at the beginning to end up with this responsibility especially that I mean, I'm quite young mm -hmm. and I'm a woman. And that's also, I think, in a way played in my subconscious, like, okay. <laughs> and it yeah. actually went uh, <laughs> very well and I, I really liked it. And I mean, the team at least was happy with having me as team leader. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she yeah. said it so. And yeah. So probably I probably gained a bit of in confidence on that side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that will build on this baggage of experience and and knowledge that you need also in this in this field work, so to say, as you were mentioning before, like getting into cruises, also adding up this this leading role. I'm sure it will it will help and it will kind of maybe also change your future roles in, in, in future field campaigns. Yeah, it would be nice. We'll see. But yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm sure. And and there was a second part of the of the question, right? About Corona. Uh, I mean, the entire Corona situation is a bit, uh, I have to say, I don't like it. <laughs> Some people maybe yes. get along better than me. I don't really get along well with it. We are a big club, I think. Some yeah. people not enjoying this. Is it because you're working alone and cannot meet people or? Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's a couple of things. It's also because I, I mean, I'm, I'm don't live in my country, so it's a bit hard to see the family mm. now. And no. Mosaic, I was always happy to go, but in the end, after the end of Mosaic, it had been 10 months. I had, I haven't been in France because of Corona. Yeah, and I tried yeah. a couple of times to go and couldn't go, and then at the end of Mosaic, I managed to go, but it was curfew on lockdown, so mm -hmm. not the best. Mm. So it's uh, yeah, a bit everything, let's say. I mean, it looks like it can be longer, but hopefully somehow you will still get the chance to enjoy some some months of freedom also on land somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping about that. No problem. On Norway is not the worst we can move around. So that's just true. that it's not a good season in Norway. That's another problem. <laughs> yeah. There's no snow and it's dark. <laughs> But then I would uh I would then turn the, the question to, to you and ask you if you were here next time to interview our next guest, which I guess we can say this time. Our next guest on, on the ice pod is going to be uh, Captain Wunderlich. And so if you were here, Zoe, next time to interview uh, the captain with us and you could get the chance to ask him a question, what would you like uh, to know from him? And yeah. I think there's one question, which is like, how is it to be for so long on a ship? Uh -huh. True. <laughs> and how is it to deal with all the crazy idea of the scientists <laughs> <laughs> true we had you know we had um captain uh, thomas wunderlich um in in the beginning of a year um being part of a panel discussion and usually what he answers to that and i guess sarah we have to <laughs> <laughs> look out for it i guess he will he will um repeat that so he is there to make the scientists happy that's uh what he usually yeah i know that <laughs> But maybe after yeah, that, this much time true. with scientists he will change his mind <laughs> maybe he will just come up with a different answer and say no i'm sick of scientists you know <laughs> we have one last also a recurring question, which is, uh, I mean, fairly, I, I guess it's fairly obvious, but <laughs> we, we need to ask just to be sure. So we, we always, ha we know about this, this team jackets and, uh, that were sold on board production. So I wanted to know from, from you, Zoe, if you had one and if you had, if, if you have one, which team you, you joined? 
So I have one on it's the motion, of course. Yay! <laughs> yes. <laughs> you didn't see of this course. coming, I bet. <laughs> we didn't we didn't expect this at all. But we needed to ask. <laughs> we had to know. Before we close, one more question. What was the best moment you had on Mosaic? Was there something a really nice moment you remember I, i would say i mean it's an emotional one let's say it's when we left the flow um so we were two days before the polar nights so we had more or less clear sky so it was like a sunset all day or sunrise i mean sunset or sunrise you see the way yeah, you want <laughs> right you can so pick. beautiful orange colors and when we left there was actually a bear standing 10 meters from the ship. And then we left with this beautiful color on the bay. Nice. And that was, yeah. I mean, it's both the best and the saddest in a way. I mean, we're all kind of sad to leave, I think. At least some of us were sad, and especially with this beautiful like landscape. It was mm -hmm. like, wow, it's yeah. beautiful. But yeah, right. I think that's one of the best moments, I would say. Thank you so much, Zoe was really nice uh, getting uh, to know you because we didn't uh, meet before and um and a fresh perspective also on on mosaic and what has been done i was yeah, really nice. uh, it's not only atmosphere on ice uh, yes yeah <laughs> we we have to campaign a bit more for ocean and oceanographers yeah. i'm wondering thomas racco he had he had the <laughs> that's where it all started that, that's where it all started that he so he he normally uh does uh, he does sea ice modeling basically but he interpreted sea ice as as ocean so he actually joined team ocean so he's your fellow exactly it's kind of a nice circle yeah. at this point to kind of start yeah okay zoe thanks a lot we wish you best of luck with um You know, now um, moving to Tromsø. And for um, your expeditions too. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be the polar And, um Never done that, actually. Oh, yes. Yes. I think um, with this, we also thank our listeners of the podcast to really um, be with us all the time. <laughs> If you want to know more, you can um, check out our different channels like Instagram, Twitter, at Polar Prediction, both of them. Also, we have an email address, and Sarah knows <laughs> the address quite good. <laughs> polarprediction at gmail.com. Yeah, exactly. Or you can go on the website, um, polarprediction.net. Or the podcast.home.blog. Yeah. yeah, we also thank Radio Visa TV for the technical support for... Uh, helping us with, with uploading and for featuring our episodes on their local radio stations every first Saturday of the month from 2 to 4 p.m. So if you missed the, or if you want to listen to the episodes uh, with music, you should tune in uh, Radio Visa TV and listen to the full two hours of discussions with, the, with songs. Okay, so um, yeah, Zoe, have a have a good, nice afternoon in Bergen. Thank you, and you too, also. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Okay, bye bye. bye, -bye. 
The iSpot is produced by the Year of Polar Prediction International Coordination Office with the technical support of Radio Weser TV as well as the support by the communication team of Mosaic and the Alfred Wegner Institute. Editorial responsibility is with Kirstin Werner and Sara Pascoletto. Our theme music is composed by Kevin McLeod, available on incompetech.com. For any questions, please contact us at polarprediction at gmail.com. <laughs>